sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, greetings in Jesus' name to everyone this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to reflect on the things of God, putting our trust in the Lord as we had in the opening message there about renewing our strength in the Lord. So I trust all of you gathered here this morning, um, friends, those who've come from a distance, some of the home folks are missing due to sickness, and we've been reminded in the past weeks that life is fragile. We have many who are sick, some who are dying, and we thank the Lord for recovery and life. And I think in today's message we will have a reminder of that as well. You can turn to Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, we have the account of a hand writing on the wall. Now that story is well known, and we're going to look at it this morning as we study through the book of Daniel. Do you recall, Daniel is a book about the end times, not only telling us what will happen in the end times, but also telling us how to live in the end times. And again, the, uh, the verse I've referred to often is found in a later chapter where it says that those that know their God shall do exploits. And that could be us in the end times to do exploits. And the key in that is those that know their God. It's important for us to know our God. So today we have this story of this very unusual event. So unusual, in fact, that this very event has 
trickled down into our everyday language as a, a little saying or a proverb, a figure of speech, that when we talk about someone seeing the handwriting on the wall, what does that mean? What, what, what do they mean when they use that phrase? Well, it might mean several things, but in general, it simply means if someone is seeing the handwriting on the wall, they know that the end is very near. And in a sense, we can think of the judgment has already been set. In other words, what is about to come to an end is not a good end. There is there's something uh, rather... Um, might be unpleasant or it might come to a disappointing end, but uh, the judgment is set, the end is near, and it's and when someone sees the handwriting on the wall, you know that it's it's just it's over. You're you're done. Well let's read this account now where that is taken from. Daniel chapter five. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and the king spake, And said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. 
For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and the dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show thee the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show me, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive. And whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruleth in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver of, and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Meany, meany, tekel, upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meany, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, 
and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. That's an amazing story. And once again, we have God coming on the scene here, revealing himself in this manner to show that he is the Most High that ruleth in the affairs of men. And that even kings who do not care to acknowledge God must, in the end, give recognition to this this God of heaven, the most high God, is what, how Daniel refers to him in verse 18. Now Daniel, of course, knew this God. And that is why the spirit of the holy God was in him. God honored Daniel because Daniel honored God. And Daniel had a connection and understanding. He had a special place in in the work of the kingdom here as a representative of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That was where Daniel lived. He lived in this kingdom where there was great wickedness. In this account here, we have Belshazzar making this great feast, and they were were having a great time drinking wine and giving honor to the gods of wood and of iron, of stone, and so on. And while doing so, they were actually... um, what I would say, give insult to the true God of heaven. In verse 23, Daniel explains it to Belshazzar, saying, Thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you have drunk from these vessels that were set aside and dedicated to the worship of God. And it's interesting that This account seems to be toward the end of the 70 years of captivity that they had been in Babylon. So these vessels would have been kept in store somehow for nearly 70 years. And here Belshazzar brings them out and uses them at his great feast and so dishonors the Lord of heaven by taking these vessels from the Lord's house and using them in this drunken way. And while doing so, he praises the gods of silver, gold, iron, brass, and so on, that can't see, can't hear, and should never be recognized. And the true God, as Daniel says there, the God in whose hand thy breath is, 
And whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified? Then, it says, was the part of the hand sent from him. So this was God's... I'm I'm not sure if we would say it was his hand. It says, then was the part of the hand sent from him. may have been the hand of an angel or however that was. But there was no doubt in the king's mind that it was a revelation from, as he might have thought of, the gods. That spirit world that he knows not of and can't really discern, that's where this hand came from and that's where the message comes from and he couldn't understand it and he didn't know what it meant, but he trembled because he saw that this other world was entering in and trying to give him a message. Now, if you can just picture how this might have felt to all those gathered there, and especially to the king, if while I was preaching here, there suddenly appeared a hand on the wall and began to write words that you could not understand, but you sensed immediately that this was of some divine manifestation that was not the hand of man, but the hand of God. Would that be shocking? Rather startling? You would immediately lose any concentration on what I was saying and your attention would be riveted on this hand that's writing something on the wall. Well, that's a bit how it was in this time where they were feasting and carrying on, praising their gods, and suddenly this hand began to write on the wall. And it was, in fact, at God's direction and by God's power was this hand writing. And while the words seemed strange, couldn't be heard, uh, couldn't be understood, I'm not sure some commentators think that it would have been in a different language that Daniel would have readily recognized. But perhaps the Babylonian people didn't. However that was, it certainly was a divine revelation that Daniel was able to interpret to the king And the message was for the king. The message was that God had numbered his kingdom. And what that means is that the sum of his days or his the length of time in which he would be allowed to rule, the very uh, number of his days had reached an end. And then he says further, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You've come up short. There's something that's missing. And then the last part, Thy kingdom is divided 
and given to the Medes and Persians. And this actually marks the transition from one era to us to another. And it um, goes back to chapter 2 where we saw that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of an image of, of uh, metals, gold, and then silver, and so on. And the, and the gold represented the Babylonian kingdom. And the silver next to it represented the Medes and the Persian kingdom. And this account here is where that transfer took place. Now before Daniel actually gave the king this interpretation, he went through a bit of background or why this is happening. And we should take note of what Daniel said here. He reminded him of his father Nebuchadnezzar who... As history records, I believe that was actually his grandfather. But it was not uncommon for them to use that term, father, even if it was a grandfather. And he reminds Belshazzar of the things that God did in his father Nebuchadnezzar's life. And he reminded him of the glory and majesty of his kingdom and told him that it was the most high God that gave Nebuchadnezzar this kingdom. You recall from our earlier study there where God dealt with Nebuchadnezzar when his heart was lifted up in pride and he was looking out over his city and the grandeur of the city, and he said in his heart, is not this great Babylon that I have built? And there came a voice from heaven in that same hour, and he was uh, given the heart of a beast. He was driven from men. They fed him like the ox. for till seven times passed over and Nebuchadnezzar could recognize that it was the most high God that rules in the kingdom of men. Okay, so Daniel is reminding Belshazzar of all this, of how Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up. And then in verse 22, he says this, And thou his son... O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Though thou knewest all this, he didn't humble his heart. We might say he didn't learn from history. But in this account, it's more than just learning from history. It's recognizing that there is a God in control of history and that history is not just something that happened back there and has no bearing on us, but we should take recognition of how God dealt with men in the past and take some lesson for ourselves in the present. Thou hast not humbled thine heart. And then further he explained that he has lifted it up against God. He took all these vessels, they made this feast, they praised the gods of gold and brass that 
can't see or hear, and the God, that God in whose hand thy breath is, hast thou not glorified. Now when I think of that uh, event of God calling this heathen king to account, I have to consider that all the kings that are ruling today, be it whatever their title, kings, presidents, rulers, this same God is taking account of everything in their life as well. It's no secret to God. God rules and at times overrules in all the kingdoms of men in that same power and dominion that he had back in the days of Babylon. Isn't that amazing? We kind of tend to think of all these kings and rulers, well, they're, they're in positions of power and they can kind of do whatever they want. And they... You know, as we look at the affairs of men, we see what kings have done, and kings have come and gone, and some of them have been wicked, some have been benevolent, and some have uh, gone down in history books as the most notorious and despicable of men, and others have been praised and honored, and, and we just sort of think, well, that just sort of, you know, they, they sort of operate and do what they want. But the reality is that God keeps record, he keeps track, he knows exactly. And God expects even the kings to give honor to him as the most high God. Now just to go along with that thought of God, who is the most high God and has created all things, our mind runs to a number of scriptures that reemphasize that point and tell us, even us, that we ought to praise this God of heaven. I'd like to read several passages. If you turn to Psalm 148. Psalm 148 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Praise him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapors, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes 
and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He also exalteth the horn of his people, the praise of all his saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto him. Praise ye the Lord. So the psalmist gives recognition to this most high God, to which all of nature, all creatures, be it the king on the throne, to the lowliest of servants, whether it be men or women, old or young, all should praise this God of heaven, this most high God. Let's turn to several passages in the New Testament, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, in the city of Athens, Paul is preaching to these heathen unbelievers who do not know what God to worship. Verse 24, he says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him, And find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Doesn't that parallel what Daniel was saying to Belshazzar here? Belshazzar was praising these gods of gold, silver, wood, and stone that could not see or hear. And here Paul... These years later, he's saying the same thing. He says, these are not the gods to worship. It is the most high God, the one who made heaven and earth, the one in, him, in whom we live and move and have our being, the God in whose hand our breath is. This God is the one we should serve. If we look further in Hebrews chapter 1, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. It's Hebrews 1 verse 2. 
whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This one who made all the worlds and upholds all things by the word of his power. This is the God that we should honor and worship and reverence. So this was before Daniel actually showed the king the interpretation of what was written on the wall, he explained to him what the reality is. Now I'd like to go back and consider again what Daniel said there to The king, when he said, after he had recounted what God had done for Nebuchadnezzar, he told the king, you have not humbled your heart, though thou knewest all this. And that reminds us that the things that God has done among men are for us to take to heart and to consider that we might be able to properly account for our own lives. And again, we could look at many examples from Scripture. You go back in what was very early in history after the flood, and of course the flood itself is a, is a warning and something to pay heed that the world that then was being overflowed with water perished and the present world is being kept in store for the judgment by fire. He also makes reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the book of Jude, I believe it is, where he makes mention that the judgment that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah is that men might take heed today, lest that same judgment Uh, He calls them an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. That's a warning. The dealings that God had with the children of Israel. And you know the accounts how he led them through the wilderness and they forgot God. In their distresses, they didn't always call upon the Lord, but actually resorted to complaining and fretting, and sometimes even turned to other gods, like making the golden calf. And when they came up to the land of Canaan, they could not enter in because of unbelief, and so on. And of all those accounts, God says very clearly, these things were written for your example. They were meant for you to take warning and consider how God has dealt with people in the past. It's for your instruction 
and for you to take heed. In Psalms, it tells us that we should remember the works of the Lord. And that is true down through all of time. The works of the Lord are many. God answers prayer. We had that uh, example clearly in the children's lesson even. Children, do you remember that? God answered prayer and did a miracle. Those things should be told and remembered because God still answers prayer. God works. and God expects us to turn to him when we have troubles, when we have distresses. Like in the opening message, the example of Peter, when he was beginning to sink, he called out to the Lord and said, Lord, help me. So God meant for us to remember these things. It wasn't just an old boring history lesson. It's something for us to take a hold of and be warned and not be like Belshazzar here who knew these things He had heard the story, he knew how it was, and he knew why it was, but he didn't humble himself. And so God came and found him wanting. Now here's a sobering part of this account. As compared to his father, Nebuchadnezzar, when his father, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up his heart in pride, God drove him from men, but gave him time to repent. And it took seven years, but he repented, and he humbled himself, and then his kingdom was restored. But Belshazzar did not have that privilege. He also hardened his heart, It was lifted up with pride and God came and spoke a word of judgment and that was it. There is no time given for Belshazzar to repent. It says in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. Now here's a question for you all. Does God still send messages? Does he see in our affairs? Does he see in our church? And if he were to write on the wall, what would it say? Well, actually, it may be closer than we think. You recall what it says in Revelation chapters 2 and 3? Let's turn to that and read. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 19... Revelation chapter 119. Write the things which thou hast seen, 
and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. Let's stop and think for a minute. This is New Testament. This is not a heathen king out there. This is a church that gathers in the name of the Lord Jesus. They're New Testament saints. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been sanctified and washed. And they gather on a Sunday morning and here is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven churches. And then he has a message. And in this case, he had it recorded and put down in a letter and sent to the churches. He didn't write it on the wall in the front of the church building or their assembly place. He had it written down and he sends it to each church to read and consider. But isn't it the divine word of God just as surely as that handwriting on the wall in Belshazzar's day? Yes, it's the very God who sees and knows all. And he starts out in this first church, verse uh, 2 there, the church of Ephesus, I know thy works. He sees it. He knows where we are. And he sends a message. And just as surely as he sent this message, which we have for our instruction, he could make it even more specific by walking in the midst of us and then writing it on the wall. Now, I don't know exactly what he would say concerning Zion Christian Fellowship. I'm not presuming that I would know any more than you. But it should make us stop and think and ponder that this very God who spoke to Belshazzar walks in our midst. We believe that he's present with us when we gather to worship He knows the hearts of all men, and he could, if he wanted to, he could begin writing on the wall and saying, here's what I see. I I know your works, and I can see what you're doing, 
I can see how things are going. And what would it be? Well, I think first of all we should consider carefully the letters to the seven churches. There are many things therein that could apply to us today and should apply to us. They are the message that God has given for our instruction. So when you see the handwriting on the wall, What is, what comes to your mind? Well, I'd like for us to just think that this story of Belshazzar was not just written uh, to make an interesting story of history, but it's a representation of what the God of heaven does and sees. He knows it all. He's expecting our reverence and our recognition. He's expecting our praise. He's deserving of it. He is the very God of heaven. And he wants us to praise him. And further, he sees everything that we do. And just as surely as he saw in the kingdom of Belshazzar, he sees here today among us in the pews and he could just as surely write on the wall or send us a letter or speak to our hearts by us taking heed to what he's already written here and I'm not suggesting that we need to seek some extra biblical revelation or a mystical something but I'm saying we should just as surely take heed to what God says and consider that he knows it just like he did for Belshazzar. The God in whose hand thy breath is hast thou not glorified. That was the warning. We need to do the opposite. There needs to be a testimony that the God in whose hand our breath is, because we're recognizing our very dependence on this God that we are a people who praise him and give him glory. May the Lord bless you with that.